Good morning, everybody. So good to have you all with us to worship Jesus again today here at Great Oaks, whether you're in person or whether you're online. We're just so happy that you have taken time to worship with us this morning. Uh, So I hope you got some good sleep last night. And the reason why is because because today you are going to need to focus. You're going to have to concentrate today because... uh, We're going to look at one of the more difficult passages in the entire Bible today. And uh, I'm not kidding. And so you're going to have to focus. Stay with me. Put those thinking caps on today. Um, Get them all tuned in because I think we'll have a good time. And God willing, we will learn a lot as we go through his word this morning. And uh, just take a moment. I'm going to pray as we get started. Father, we thank you so much for your word Father, we thank you for the truth that you have seen fit to give us as your creation and as your followers. God, we commit our time to you. May your word be clear. Father, we thank you that you are righteous and holy and loving and full of mercy. Father, as we study your word today, may we fall in love with you more today than we were when we walked in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we are coming near the end of our study uh, in our our series of the first half of the book of Hebrews. So, we're going to be in chapters 5 and 6 today. 5 and 6. So, go ahead and turn there. Just as a refresher, uh, for some of you who might have missed part of our series... Uh, as far as the writer of this book, we aren't sure who wrote this book, all right? But what we do know is that it was written to a group of Christian Hebrews. Uh, they were probably in Rome, uh, not 100% sure, but more than likely these Hebrew Christians were in the city of Rome. And, uh, He wrote this book for a couple of reasons. And the first is because these Hebrew Christians were being persecuted by the Jews. And the reason they were being persecuted is because the Jews didn't like them becoming Christians. They wanted to pull them back into Judaism. So the writer of this book, he was writing this book, this letter to these Hebrews to say, stay in there. Stick to it. Don't quit. The other thing that he wanted to make clear too was, you know what, if you go back to to the faith of Judaism, uh, that's not going to go well. That's not going to go well. You don't want to go down that path. So throughout this book of Hebrews, the the, uh, theme that goes throughout it is that Christianity is superior to Judaism. So throughout this book, the writer is comparing Christ to Aaron and to Moses, to the angels, to the prophets, to the law. And he's saying, Jesus, Jesus is superior to all of those things. And this is the theme that's running throughout the book. So that brings us now to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. All right, so I want you to follow along as I start reading. All right, and we're going to go through verse 14 to start with. 
Um, and it starts out, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now starting in chapter 6 verse 1. Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and I have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless, and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Today I'm going to tell you what I understand these verses to say. All right, um, I have read these verses a lot over the past week. And I've studied through them. I've been praying through this. I have read several commentaries. I have read some other sermons. And today, I'm going to tell you what I think these verses say. Uh, now, here's the deal. You need to go home after this message, and you need to open up God's Word, and you need to decide what this book says as to how you read Scripture. There was a group of Christians back in Acts chapter 17, the Bereans, because they lived in Berea. And they had the reputation that whenever someone would come to their church or talk to them about God, they would go back to the Bible, to the scriptures, and they would make sure that what they are learning was true. We need to be Bereans, all right? Not just Sunday mornings, not just here at Great Oaks. Anytime you listen to a message, anytime you, you uh, like read a book, go back to the Bible to make sure what you hear is true. I want you to do that today when you go home, sometime this week. Be Bereans. Make sure what you're getting taught matches up with God's word. Um, all right. So let's go back to verse 11 through 14. It says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from 
evil. So at one point, we can tell by these verses that these Hebrew Christians, and let me say one more thing. As this writer was writing to these Hebrew Christians, he knew that even inside this pocket of of Hebrew Christians, there was a smaller group. And the smaller group looked like Christians. And they acted like Christians. And they said the right things. And they went to the right places. And they hung out with the right people. But inside this group of Hebrew Christians, there was a group that I believe was not Christian. They did not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They kept being pulled back into Judaism. They were trusting their works of righteousness. They were trusting their ceremonies, their law. They hadn't fully surrendered to the work of Jesus Christ. So as this writer's writing that, he knows that. He knows that there's this group of Hebrew sincere Christ followers. But inside there, there's also these people who, who just keep getting pulled back, pulled back to Judaism. All right. Keep that in mind as we go through this, all right? So in these verses that we just read, he is saying, you are spiritual infants. You are, you are spiritual babies. And he makes this comparison, right? This, this word picture. He says, you are drinking milk, not solid food. Think about a baby. For the first five, six, seven months of a baby's life, all they eat or drink is milk. No solid food. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, you are spiritual babies. He's not holding any punches back here, right? He's saying, wow, you, you at this time should be teaching people the deeper truths of God. You are not only teaching them the, not teaching them the deeper truths of God, you don't even know the deeper truths of God. You're spiritual babies. Wow, I mean, he's coming out here, right? I mean, he's, he's telling them what he thinks. Now think about this. These Hebrews, they've heard the truth. They had people preach to them. They had opportunities. It wasn't for lack of opportunities. But still, they kept being pulled back into their old faith of Judaism. And he says, you are spiritual babies. Because you are not learning taking the time to learn, taking the effort to learn. You are, you are being pulled back into Judaism. And he says, you should know better. Do you know the story of Peter Pan? Do you remember that story? It's the story of a boy who refused to grow up. And there was a song that was part of that story. This is how the song goes. Okay, get ready. <laughs> I won't grow up. I won't grow up. Does it sound familiar to anybody here? All right. That song could have been the theme song for these Hebrews. They would not grow up. They would not grow up. Let me ask you a question. Do you know God's word better today than you did last year? Do you know God's word better today than you did two years ago, five years ago? Are you growing in your Christian faith? Is your Christian faith stronger today? Do you have a closer, more intimate walk with Jesus Christ than you did last year, three years ago, six years ago? 
How are you doing? Could that song be your theme song? I won't grow up. Or are you in real life, a, a real life Peter Pan? None of us want to be Peter Pan. Don't be a Peter Pan. Don't be a Peter Pan. Are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your walk? Are you doing the hard work of studying God's word? Are you going deeper in your walk with him? These Hebrews weren't. They got stuck. They gave up. They became lazy. They became slow of mind, dull of hearing. Let's keep going in verse 14. It says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washing, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Well, that's an interesting set of verses. Uh, did you see the list of teachings that the writer considers to be basic and, and elementary teaching? Did you see that list? I'm going to go over them again. As we go over them, I'm going to tell you what I think this list actually is, all right? So the first one is the repentance from dead works. This is not the same as salvation, all right? This is... This is just repentance from dead works. It doesn't say repentance and turning to Jesus. It's repentance from dead works. The second one is faith towards God. This, again, is talking about the Old Testament understanding of who God is, not Jesus. The third one is instructions about washings. Some of your Bibles, I think especially the King James Version, says baptisms. That's not a very good uh, translation of that word. It should say washings from what I have learned, right? And that's talking about the Old Testament ceremonies of cleansing and of washings. Again, in the Old Testament. The fourth is the laying on of hands. This is talking about when the priest would go up to the sacrificial animal and he'd place his hands on them to like represent that animal taking the sins of the people upon them before they get sacrificed. The fifth one is the resurrection of the dead, dead. This is again referring to an Old Testament teaching that would be missing the resurrection to life in Jesus. And the sixth thing it says, eternal judgment. All right, so that's one more teaching of judgment lacking the teaching of Jesus Christ. These are all Old Testament teachings. And here we have the, this, this writer of Hebrews, and he's telling them, you are still in kindergarten. You're focused over here on this Old Testament law and tradition and rules and regulations. And he's saying, Jesus Christ has come. We shouldn't be in kindergarten anymore. He's brought with him new teaching, revelation from God. How we can have a walk and relationship with our Father. You're over here in kindergarten. 
He didn't say get rid of it. He says move on. Jesus came to take us to graduate school, and they're still over here in kindergarten. He said, grow, go, move on from that Old Testament that's got you enslaved. Don't, don't abolish it, but understand Jesus came to fulfill all that. Move on, go to graduate school. But they're over there in kindergarten. Then in verse 3, it says this. And this we will do if God permits. And this we will do if God permits. We're going to pause here for just a minute. Friends, it is up to us to put ourselves in, in the right situations to learn God's word and to grow in our faith and to mature. It's up to us. It's important that we go to church, a good Bible teaching church. It's important that we get involved in, in uh, different opportunities like uh, different Bible studies or like life group. Go, build those relationships so that you can go deeper with a closer group of friends. It's important we spend time studying the Bible on our own, reading it, spending time with God in the Bible. It's important that we read books, good books, good books that have the foundation of God's word throughout it and point us to Jesus. It's great to listen to sermons on the radio, on the web, whatever. We need to do our part to make sure we put ourselves in situation to go deeper, to learn God's word more. But ultimately, who permits it? Ultimately, who causes it to happen? It's God. Through his Holy Spirit, working in our lives so that when we open up the Bible, we can understand what it says. This is a holy book written by a holy God. It is impossible for us to open up this Bible and to like understand it on our own. God has given us his Holy Spirit so that he, he, so that he will open our eyes, our spiritual eyes and hearts and minds to the deeper truths of God. It's called the doctrine of illumination. And not just to know it, but to live it. Knowledge by itself, it's useless. What good is that? I, not just to know it, but to live it out. Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. Friends, when you sit down to read the Bible uh, at home during your times of Bible study, Something I try to do regularly is, God, show me what you want me to learn today. God, open up your, my eyes to your word so that I can understand it and know how to apply it to my life. That should be a regular part of your life as you go into your times of Bible study on your own. All right, so now we're going to go into verses, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Get ready, all right, because this, this is where things really get interesting. All right, it says, for it is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have, taste, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. All right. What are these verses saying? Some of you might be saying, well, Dan, it's pretty simple. 
God is saying there that we can lose our salvation. Upon first reading, that's what it sounds like. Today as we go through these verses for the next few minutes, I'm going to teach you that I believe it's not saying that, but instead we can have confidence in the salvation that God gives us and that we don't have to live our lives in fear of losing it. All right? Um, go back to verse 6. It says, And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So I believe that that phrase, falling away, mentioned here, is referring to those group of, of Christian-looking people. And that they have fallen away. But these people never truly received Jesus as their Lord and Savior to start with. Not a true Christian. They give the appearance of being a true Christian. They look great. They sound great. They do all the right things, but not true Christians who are following Jesus Christ, who have trusted in Jesus to forgive them of their sins because he was the perfect sacrifice and who provides a way for them to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, both on earth and for all eternity. So let me tell you how I come to that conclusion. All right, so we're going to walk through this verse, these, these two verses. I'm going to tell you how I read these different descriptions of these people to help you understand how I got there. Before I do that, I'm going to just quickly say this. There are three camps when it comes to these verses, three ways that people usually interpret this, and there's some variations inside each camp. But for the most part, this is the three camps. The first is that some, some Christians read these verses and say it's possible for a Christian to lose their salvation. Um, I think that camp's pretty small because if they interpret these verses that way, they also have to read that phrase in there and it's impossible to return to Christ. Most of the people I know who believe it's possible to lose your salvation do not believe it's impossible to come back to Christ. That camp's pretty small. The second camp is, is, that, this, is that these verses are, again, referring to true Christians who have fallen away but not fallen away from salvation. They have fallen away from true doctrine. And the third camp is the camp I'm in, which believes these verses uh, are teaching that the people falling away are not true Christians to start with. All right, so I'm going to tell you how I get there. All right, so let's go to verse 4. And it describes these people as those who have once been enlightened. What does that mean? That means that they have seen their sin. They understand they are sinners. They understand that they have sinned against God. Does not mean they're Christians. Does not mean they're following Christ. The second thing it says, they have tasted the heavenly gift. So I believe this is referring to the gospel message. Is it possible for someone to taste the gospel message and not be a true Christ follower? I think so. I think so. Let me explain it to you like this. Today, right now, throughout the United States are thousands of people sitting in churches hearing the true proclamation of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And they like it. 
And they hear it. And they say, that sounds great. I'm all in. Put me in that group. But there's no true declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There's no, there's no true following Jesus. It just sounds good to them. There's a lot of people like that. And they hear the gospel, and they like the gospel, but they never come to know Jesus personally. And then the third one here is, it says, they have shared in the Holy Spirit. Is it possible for a person to share in the Holy Spirit but not be a true Christ follower? I think so. This is how I see it. Let me give you an illustration. Just a couple weeks ago, we were having a prayer meeting here at church, and someone shared a prayer request for a friend of theirs who is very close to coming to Christ. God is working in that person's heart. His Holy Spirit is moving in that person's heart. The Holy Spirit's pulling them. He's at work. As of two weeks ago, that person had not surrendered their life to Christ. I pray and hope that that's changed since now. But I don't know. But at that point in time, this person had shared in the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. But there was no, there was no declaration of Lord, of Jesus as Lord, and following Jesus with their life. Is it possible to be sharing the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, but not be a true Christian? I think so. Verse 5 says, They have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. I think that's talking about those people who read the Bible. They open it up. They like it. Sounds good. Right? It's, it's interesting. There's good teaching. Um, they read the Bible. They might even know the Bible. It doesn't make them a Christian. There are people of all kinds of faith who read the Bible because they, they think it's good. It doesn't make them a Christian. We, I'm sure all of us have neighbors who read the Bible. It doesn't make them true Christ followers. I have sat down with friends and read the Bible, and they openly acknowledge to me they aren't Christ followers, but they enjoyed reading the Bible. Doesn't make him a Christ follower. Doesn't make him a Christian. So in all these different lists, I think the writer is describing someone who looks great on the outside. They do the right things. They go the right places. They go to church. Not true Christ followers. Who in the Bible do we know like that? Judas. Judas. He spent three years with the Son of God in person. He, he went to the right places. He said the right things. Even the other disciples didn't know that he wasn't a true Christ follower. But he fell away. Why did he fall away? Because he wasn't a true Christ follower to start with. That's how I read these verses. 
You go home. You be Bereans. You find out what you believe. But that's how I read these verses. Let's go on to verse 6. It says, If they fall away to be brought back to repentance. Why is it impossible for these people to be brought back to repentance? Well, the reason why is because of these, these people, these Hebrews that look like Christians on the outside, go back to Judaism. They're doing a couple things. First off, they're saying the Holy Scriptures is not for them. They are also refusing the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. If a person does those two things, how can they come to repentance? They can't come to repentance. Those are the two things God uses to bring people into his family. His holy word and his holy spirit. That's what God uses to bring people into a saving faith with him. So if a person goes back and they're denying the Bible and the Holy Spirit's work, how will they come to repentance? It will be impossible. You can't do it. But I believe that a person can make that choice but later decide to soften their heart to the Holy Spirit and to God's word and then to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But during a person's time, if they are denying that this is God's holy word and, and, they, are, and they have become hard-hearted against the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. You can't, you can't cut those things off and come to Christ. But at any point when a person decides, you know what? Maybe this is God's word. Maybe I should listen to the Holy Spirit. Then at that point, a person can come into faith with Christ. All right. Let's keep reading. Let's keep going down our passage. Verse, verses 7 and 8. All right. So now this, this writer gives two uh, gives a very good illustration of two groups of people. So we're going to see it. Verses 7 and 8. It says, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So the writer's is giving this illustration of two types of people. All right, so the first is those who God speaks to. He's, he speaks to them with his truth, and they receive it. And they, and they begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then their lives begin to reflect that. They have fruit, spiritual fruit. Their lives are reflecting a close relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's a second group of people. And these are the people that God also speaks to. He also declares his truth to them. But they shut him off. And this says their lives grow thorns and thistles. It sounds a lot like a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 13. The parable of the sower. And if you aren't familiar with it, it's a story of this farmer that goes out and he spreads seed. Some of the seed falls on good ground. Some of the seed falls on bad ground. 
The seed that falls on good ground grows, produces a crop, displays fruit and life of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They have a relationship and they will enter eternity with the Father in heaven. But this, the seed that falls on the bad ground, it grows up and gets choked out. It's rocky ground, surrounded by thorns and thistles. Friends, what soil are you? Has God been speaking to you? Maybe you're here today, and in your heart, you know you are not a Christ follower. But God's got you here, and he wants you to hear this. And he's speaking to you today through his word. Will you be good soil? Will you receive God's teaching? Will you accept his truth into your life and allow him to do his wonderful work, transforming your life so that you display the fruit of righteousness and of God in your life and experience his fellowship and his blessings in your life? Or will you choose to be bad ground, denying his word, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and producing only thorns and thistles? What kind of soil are you today? My prayer is if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, that you will stop saying no and that you will allow his truth to permeate your heart to come to know him personally, to experience his magnificent forgiveness and fellowship. That's my prayer for you today. What soil are you going to be? Let's keep going. Verses 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to, their, to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Friends, if you are a, a Christ follower, a true Christian, and you have given your life to Jesus Christ, then these verses say you are an heir of the promise. You are an heir of the promise. Well, what promise? Well, this promise, the promise that God made to Abraham, 
That God was going to bless Abraham and multiply him. And you're thinking, well, Dan, that's great for Abraham, but I'm not Abraham. What's it have to do with me? Why do I care? Well, because, friends, the only reason you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is because he was faithful to that promise to Abraham. In case you don't know the story of Abraham, he was 100 years old. His wife was 90, and they had a baby. It's mind-boggling. Well beyond childbearing years. But God was faithful. God was faithful to his promise. And he used Abraham's descendants to establish the nation of Israel. Through Israel, God brought his son, Jesus, into the world. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you are an heir of that promise. And the same God that was faithful to Abraham is faithful to you. And you see what that comes with? It says right there, it says, encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us and a steadfast anchor of the soul. Friends, think about that. We have a faithful God who carries, who fulfills every promise he makes. And you know him. He lives in you. He's faithful to all of his promises. And his eye is on you. Man. That's awesome. So Dan, during the storms of life, I have, a, I have an anchor that I can attach to to get me through the storms of life. Yes, because he's faithful. So Dan, no matter what the chaos is in my life, I can trust God. Yes, because he's faithful. He is faithful. We are heirs of the promise. May we never get tired of thinking about that. Our God is faithful. No matter what the world does, our God is faithful. No matter what crisis come into our life, our God is faithful. I'm not saying easy. I'm saying faithful. God is faithful. Do you know God to be faithful in your life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? So that you can experience his peace and his confidence and his encouragement and his hope in the storms of life. Oh, I pray you do. I pray you do. So where are you at today? Do you know him? If not, take a moment right now. Say, God, I need you in my life. I am a sinner. I'm separated from you and I know it. Please come into my life. Forgive me because of the work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross.
allowing me to have my sins forgiven. Come into my life. Take control, God. I need you in my life. May this be the first day of an eternal relationship with you. Have you done that? If not, please do that where you're sitting. And let us know so we can come alongside of you, pray with you, help you, get you plugged in so that you can grow in your faith. And if you're here today and you've already done that, take a moment right now and just say, wow, God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being faithful to Abraham, providing your son, and loving me because you are faithful. And think about how that impacts your day. What's that mean when you walk out of here? It means everything. It changes everything. God is faithful. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for loving us. Wow, we are so unlovable sometimes, yet you love us. You are full of mercy, full of mercy. Thank you for your amazing mercy and grace that you show us, your love that you show us, your faithfulness. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who has not come to know you personally. May this be the day that you rescue them from their sin. Do a work in their life. May they be good soil. May they receive your teaching. Father, for those of us here who are Christ followers already, God, remind us of your faithfulness today. May we take great hope and encouragement knowing that we serve a faithful God through all of life's turmoil, a faithful God who is with us every step of the way. Thank you for being so faithful. God, may our lives reflect your goodness and your mercy when we walk out of this building and show the love of Christ to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.